Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. I appreciate you guys being here. You know, it's been about 10 years when my family, we transitioned from moving out of Denver to Florida. And I can tell you that was not an easy process. I don't know if you guys like moving. I don't know if anybody who likes moving. But it was a, a season that was tough, if you will. We sold our house. We had like huge yards there, like literally getting rid of everything on Craigslist to like our car. Coming down to bare necessities, moving all our stuff into the pod, putting it into storage, not knowing where we were going to go. So we put in a pod so that we can get it delivered, depending on <laughs> where. And that stage of waiting was hard. It was just before winter, I had this brilliant idea. Oh, let's go to Florida, uh, enjoy the, you know, be the snowbirds, right? Get a rental furnished, and just until the Lord opens up the door of the next chapter. And so we came to Kissimmee, Florida, because that's where all the rentals were. And we had invitations to churches. And as we were interviewing, candidating, they called it, I can tell you that it surfaced things in our hearts that was deep in there. I needed healing. We needed rest. I didn't know that. I didn't know how broken I was. Ministry has a way of, like, beating people down and not knowing. (laughs) <laughs> like, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts, they say, right? It, over time, we had stuff, and Sarah and I just talked, and we prayed, and we're like, oh, I think we need rest. And we prayed about it. I mean, I was just ready to jump into the next church and jump into the next city or whatever, but then the Lord brought about surfacing, like, the deep pains that we needed healing from. So after prayer, we decided, oh, let's just stay. So this transitory city in Kissimmee became like our home, auto house. Uh, The Lord gave us uh, peace about staying there. And so it's like, okay, now what do we do? Look for a church. And we tried a lot of different churches. There were a lot of great churches in the area. But I can tell you that where we decided, where we were drawn to of all the visiting of different churches was not the big church with all the programs, but was one small church really close to our home. And it was like the most colorful, most diverse, most unique church that we have ever been to. They had a ginger pastor with a praise team of like United Nations, if you will. You had the, the whites, Hispanics, uh, New Yorkians, blacks, I, I, Every color, like, diversity, just in the praise team, right? And then, oh, get this. In the corner of the, the stage, a guy had a DJ stand, I kid you not, with a record, and he's scratching in the middle of the song, like, right? In the middle of the song. And he was so good that the song, it worked. Oh, it's first time Sarah saw this, she's like, no way. Like, we were blown away. And it's the whole culture of the church was so unique. They didn't try to pretend to be 
someone else or the traditional church. They were just who they were. And it, it really caught us off guard. And, and we were wondering, oh, are they really for real? Because it was so unique. It's like, are they putting on the mask or are they really like this? This community embraced us, loved us. I mean, we were brand new to Florida. It was a, if you've been to Kissimmee, it's a culture in itself, right? We felt like this is a whole nother country, but it felt like a culture in itself. But these people embraced us, loved us. They hugged me, and I'm not even a hugger. And like, just welcomed us into the community. And we're like, is this for real? And they were. So real that they were doing things that were so different than what we were used to in the church. So much that even the, uh, the pastor, and we're friends, but he came and he was preaching in his flip-flops, thong flip-flops, right? And Sarah, the way she thinks, she's like, oh, poor pastor, he's so busy, he forgot his shoes. <laughs> and then he did it next Sunday and Sunday after. Every Sunday, he's like preaching in his flip-flops. Totally cool with that, right? Everybody's cool. Nobody was bothered. And Sarah's like, no way. He's preaching for this. Like, unpretentious. They were keeping it real. And I loved that. I loved that they were being unpretentious. They were keeping it real. They were being authentic. Not trying to be someone else. They were who they were. We're continuing in our sermon series called We Are the Resting Place. We started this about four weeks back, and every Sunday we took this inspiration from Ephesians 2.19, where we said, this is the biblical motto, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And from this text, from these words of the church, we asked, what does it mean to be the resting place? When we say we are the resting place, a dwelling place of God, what does that mean? And, and from the past weeks, we said, hey, we're the house of prayer, we're the people of humility, and we are a people of intimate connections. This morning, I welcome you to look at Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. We're going to look at that text to see what does it mean to answer, what does it mean to be the household of God? What does it mean to be the dwelling place of God? So it says this, Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one, another, one of another. Being angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. So what does it mean when we say we are the resting place? What does it mean if we are the household of God, dwelling place of God? I think... The call is, we're called to be a people of bold authenticity. Bold authenticity. It's about being real. It's about not putting on a mask. It's about just being true to who we are, who God made us to be, 
true to one another. You know, that's a message I could just leave. I mean, <laughs> that seems so simple. Don't lie, church. You've never heard that one before, right? You know, as a church, we can read the scripture and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But bottom line is, speak truth. No falsehood. I don't think we need to make this more complicated than it really is. But why can't we? Speak no falsehood. Don't put on the mask. Be real. And you'll agree. But why can't some people keep it real? Why do people in some churches feel compelled to put on a mask to look like someone that they're not, even when they feel something else? You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm not saying this is our church, but I have certainly seen it. Eight years ago, uh, yeah, I, I joined this one particular ministry, and Within a few months, this lady, who was one of the very prominent leaders in the church, she served in multiple ministries, leader of this and leader of that for many years in that community. And she came and she shared uh, a prayer request. And she was talking about some of her struggle in her marriage, family, uh, business, and all these things. And uh, it took me by surprise. Because when you look at her, she was highly, high-level achieving. She looked successful. She looked uh, confident. She led businesses. She led communities. She led people. And she talked about her brokenness. I said, do you have um, people that you share your prayer needs with, uh, people to pray with you alongside and she said, oh, no, I could never tell this to people in the church. And I was blown away because her view of the church and my view of the church was very different. Because if you talk about needs, your brokenness in family, situation, and outside, she, she had everything, house, husband, all good-looking, all well-dressed, all look like you are top-tier. You would never know some of the brokenness that she shared about. She's like, no, I, I could never tell this to anyone in the church. She trusted no one in the church. And, and it blew me away because what is a church? But to be a place where the broken can come and be comforted to that we pray and intercede on behalf of one another. When somebody is lowly and broken, like you come alongside of them, lift them up and help them along the way. That's how I see the church. But she saw the church as like, no, you come in with a mask of perfection, of your righteousness, of well-dressed and well-mannered. You got it all together. And she couldn't let others know it wasn't perfect. blew me away. 
I believe the church should be the place of shalom. I believe you can come to church with your brokenness to find healing. It's the place of the hospital. It's not for the well, but for the broken. It's not for the righteous, but for the sinners. You don't come after. You guys have ever had that conversation? Is you invite somebody to the church, I got to get my life straight first before I can come to the church. No, you can come to church, then God, let Holy Spirit, let God minister and bring healing to you. Don't say you can do it on your own and then come. That is a backward thinking, but how many people feel that, believe that? But the church is a place of shalom. It is a place where two or more are gathered together and are one. There he is. He's in the midst of the togetherness, of the unity of the body as a family. And God is in the midst of your tears. God is in the midst of your prayers. That God is in the midst of your brokenness. And he is there to minister to you through the community, together. To be the church of Jesus Christ, to experience the church that Jesus died for, we must have a proper view of the church. That we are members of one body, with a Christ being the head. You got to believe that first. Not a religious institution, not a place where you can come network and show how good you are. You come to be part of the one family in God. The Bible is very clear. Ephesians 5.30 says, we are members of his body. And then 1 Corinthians 12.12 says, for just as we are, next one, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There is unity of God's spirit uh, in the church. We are many members, Jews, freak, uh, not Jews, freaks, <laughs> Jews, Greeks. <laughs> Whoa, that was a little bit, that's blasphemy. No, I'm just <laughs> Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, whatever. You who were once outsiders are insiders in the one family of God. It's, it's all about one unity. And the church and her members and every one of us are called to be part of one family. That's one team. We all have the one goal. It's like a football team. You guys ever thought about, because, you know, it's football season, so it's in my mind. I haven't had a chance to really sit down to watch a game. I'm watching the highlights, so bear with me. But you guys ever thought about football? Like, when people watch football, you look at the team. You look at the coach on the sideline, but it goes far beyond the players that you see or the coach on the field. The team goes above and beyond, inside and out, in the office, on the field, or out. You guys understand? There's the, the water boy who brings the Gatorade. There's the recruiter who wears the suits, who may not be on that field, but he brings in the the players to be part of the team. There's the owners up in the box somewhere. And what else? There are people who are paid just to watch the replays to call out the 
the, the cause of the referees to challenge. There are so many pieces to the puzzle of a team playing different roles. It may be not what you see, but it is about what's behind the scene to achieve one goal for the team to win, to victor. The church is not about the pastor or the praise team that what you see. It is about the people who come earlier, sets up, who are praying from before, during, and after the service. It is those who are coming together behind the scenes all throughout the week to empower the church. The church is not just about what happens on Sunday. The church is just what you see on the field. But we all have the one goal, to move towards the glory of God together. There are different roles, big and small, on and off the field, in and out of the church. And the church is never about a singular thing that you see on the stage. And we cannot be the church that fights one another. You guys understand? You guys ever seen a, a team with players fighting against each other, yelling at each other? What happened? They usually lose. In division, there is weakness. But when there's unity, when a team works together with that one goal, it is not the, about the glory of oneself. It's about the team victory. And the team never wins individually. All win, including the bench warmers. That's the beauty of the teamwork. So how did the church ever, not saying this is us, but how did any churches get to a place where people cannot trust one another, cannot play with one another, cannot be the body, be a place where they come with a masks on? How did it happen? When the scripture was very clear, speak no falsehood. Be real, be true, be honest. I think there are a few factors. Actually, there's a lot of factors. But allow me to point out some of my observations. Factors that hinder or keep people from experiencing authentic relationship or authenticity within the body. Okay, a few things. Just consider it. Fear of vulnerability. That might be our insecurity. That might be some trauma, hurts, pains that we have experienced in other churches, that when we have opened ourselves up and showed our brokenness, we were rejected, we were hurt, we were removed. And that trauma was enough to say, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to position myself to get hurt anymore. That vulnerability or that fear of being hurt, fear in itself, is enough for some people to put up a wall and say, I'm not going there. I would trust no one. But if you consider Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ positioned himself in the most vulnerable way. You guys ever thought about that? When he humbled himself in uh, Philippians chapter 2, in, in that description of the most utmost humility, when Jesus came down in human incarnate, in the form of his own creation. The creator came in the form of his own creation. He positioned himself that he might die. He knew he would die. 
But do you understand? It wasn't to save all that some might be saved. Knowing that there would be many more who would reject him, spit on him, curse him, and kill him. Do you understand the vulnerability of that position? The utmost, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty, humbled himself in form of his own creation to be rejected. That's vulnerability. And the church of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ is that. Two, unrealistic expectation. Unrealistic expectation. Some people come into the church with unrealistic expectations. None of you guys do that. Nobody in this church. But I have seen some people come to church with their expectation that the pastor is going to be perfect. Like he is the holy I tell you, I'm not one. I am just like you. And, you know, if, if anything, I've, I've been told, man, you don't sound like a pastor. I'm like, good. I'm keeping it real, man. You know, that doesn't even sound me. Anyways. <laughs> no. <they're... laughs> I try. <laughs> Unrealistic expectation are those who come and saying, you know what, this is a church. People are going to be good church. They're going to be holy. I can trust them. And when they realize there are some who fail, come short of their perfection, what do they do? They, get, they judge. <sighs> Christian, and they act like that. They themselves won't do that. They themselves don't expect that perfection upon themselves, but they will expect other Christians to be that perfect, that righteous. And there's no grace. It's just unrealistic. Three, busyness and distractions. Busyness and distractions. Okay, so this is me, and I'm keeping it real. I have a lot on my plate always. And I ask myself, why do I do that? I mean, like, <laughs> I take on more projects than I have time for. I love starting it, and I can't finish it. I, like, there's ADD moments, and sometimes I get overwhelmed. I'm like, why do I do this? But I do. But you do realize, and I, I can't be the only one. Come on. You guys have your responsibility, your work, your project, your family. You have your own creative venting ways, your passions, your interests, your projects that you do on your own. Time is like one of the most precious things. It's hard to sacrifice our time. But to build any authentic relationship, you need to invest time. To have any authentic relationship, you have to spend time. But how many times... Have I have made that as an excuse? I'm too busy. I'm just saying, this one, this one's me. Four, spiritual struggles. We recognize that some of our strife, our struggles is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the principalities. There's a spiritual warfare that takes place. Ephesians 6 about, talks about this spiritual warfare that exists, and if we keep our spiritual eyes and, and see for what it is, there are problems in our life, and it's not about the person that we're coming up against. It is the spiritual forces that are manipulating the miscommunications and the feelings that we have, the hurts that we experience, and it's really from the devil and his demonic forces that are trying to keep us down, the people of God, from experiencing the righteousness, experiencing the victories, right? So there is a spiritual warfare that takes place in our life. And we have to recognize that the spiritual struggles keep the family of God from coming together in unison, to becoming one. He will do everything he can to divide the relationship, even the authentic relationship that exists, to have that friction. I mean, many of you guys are married. You guys know what I'm talking about. As much as we love one another, sometimes the other person just pokes at you. <clears throat> okay, I'm moving on. Not my wife. Uh, you know, I might poke her. <laughs> but anyways. There are several factors that keep people in the church from authentic relationship or keep the people from being authentic in the church. So how do we overcome that? Well, the easy answer is do the opposite of these struggles, right? I mean, it's easy for me to say, oh yeah, get over your fear of vulnerability. <laughs> Spend more quality time with your you know, people in the church. Uh, get over your spiritual struggles, pray more, or you know, get rid of your unrealistic expectations. But let me simplify even further than that. Love. Love conquers all things. Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love someone, even when they do stupid, crazy hurtful things, you will forgive them and you will still love them. You guys understand that? If you love someone, you will tolerate, persevere, have hope for that individual to come out of it. I mean, look at our relationship with our kids. Oh my gosh. There will be moments when our kids will do things and we might say, what were you thinking? And that's a stupid question because they weren't. Oftentimes, they don't. And so, like, but do we still love them? Yeah. Do we still have hope for them? Do we forgive them? Yeah. And that's the true love, the unconditional love that mom, dad have for their kids. That love is so gracious, far more than they deserve. Love our kids. Love overcomes all evil and all stupidity. Can I say that in church? Yeah, I can keep it at video. Yeah, okay. But let me remind you that love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Let me say that again. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Look at our married couples. Right? You know, it's... Uh, it's funny. Before I marry any couple, I require premarital counseling. It's a requirement. 
there has been too many data to say that why are the people in the church and outside the church having the same divorce rate, right? And, and the church stood up and said, something has to change. Something we, so in the past uh, 15, 20 years, this premarital counseling has been the norm of acceptance to be proactive to equip our saints, equip the church people to have healthy marriage. And, and so the couples, you know, when they're dating, why do they want to get married? Because of the lovey-dovey feelings that they have, right? <laughs> but in the premarital counseling, we bring to surface the stuff that lovey-dovey people don't ever talk about. The hard things, the financial things, the shameful things. Because many people, especially guys, think if she doesn't know about it, then it will be fine. So they don't talk about it, and they don't bring it up, and they might hide it for years. But when it surfaces, then it's like, huh. So it takes a mediator to come and, and talk about the tough questions. And that's what I do. But the proper perspective of marriage is not about feelings. It's about a covenant. It's about a decision that is made. And it goes far more than feelings. Because, and you guys can testify, when that sexy six-pack ab that your woman loved you for it becomes a tire, <laughs> will you still love? That tingly feelings that you once had while you were dating, and that tingling stops, tingles no more. <laughs> Do you still love? Because it's not about the feelings. Marriage is not about the feelings. It's a covenant at the altar of God where two becomes one. Now, as a church, we don't give out diamond rings. We don't give each other rings. I love you. No, we hug each other. We embrace. But let me remind you, the church has been formed by the new covenant of Jesus Christ, by his blood. He died in our stead to make us a household. He said, you were once outsiders. You were once slaves and sinners. You who were excluded Gentiles, but now you are household of God, heirs and co-heirs with Christ. There is so much to the gospel where you who were outsiders now brought in, you are one by his blood through the new covenant. That's the church. It was never about your feelings. And there are people who jump from church to church for the feelings. Oh, I felt so loved. I felt so oh, Holy Spirit coming into me. And that's good. But do you leave the church just because the feelings go away? Or is it a covenant choice that we make? Let's keep it real. Let's be authentic here. It is not about the feelings. It is about what Jesus has done. It is about what Jesus has made you and given you the identity. And it's given you the community to be part of in oneness.
We are the resting place. That means we take the word of God seriously. I'm not going to love the word of God more than God. I love God. And I want to know his word. What he says. And so with faith, we believe. With faith, we will follow. With faith, we will lay down our agenda for what he says. We are transformed. We change to become more like him. But you can keep it real. We recognize that there are stages of our transformation. Some may call that sanctification. Some may call it something else. But it's just spiritual maturity. Our church, we will grow together. You may not have all your, I don't want to say ducks in a row. That doesn't even sound right. Right? That doesn't even sound right. You may not have all your pieces in the right order of the big picture. I don't even know what I'm saying. But you're allowed to come with your brokenness. We will love you still. You can be authentic. You can be real. In fact, I expect nothing less. Speak no falsehood. That way we can minister to one another. In that, we can help one another, pray for one another. Our mission statement is for the lost found, found free, and for peace to reign. For those without Christ to be in Christ, for those in Christ to be free. Free from sin, free from falsehood, free from religious spirit. Free. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, we, want, to exp- we want all of you guys to experience the freedom. I'm becoming more free, more and more, like, oh, my gosh, it's been so good since we came to the resting place. Because I felt like, as a pastor, I, there were some cultures that I had to pretend. I didn't say, pre- I wasn't pretending, but I certainly didn't meet the expectations of the communities. And it's like, well, I'm not a religious pastor. Yeah, that comes from the pastor. <laughs> No, I love Jesus. He called me. We recognize that. But I wasn't going to be like everyone else who wore the gown, the collar. Man, to be able to come in the jeans and sometimes sneakers. I won't wear flip-flops, but um, just saying. And there is peace in this church. Peace do reign here. But we want to take the peace of God beyond the church. And we're not going to waste our time in communities that doesn't matter. But I do believe in you. I believe in this church and what the Lord has planted and sprung up. But what the Lord will birth from here, that's on him. But we have to keep it real. We are the resting place. That means we are a people of bold authenticity. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.